0: Hello, I'm Rena Grove. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed. Where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So, Madvi, what did you get obsessed with this week? I was thinking a lot about a big food controversy that happened in the US. The NYT food columnist and cookbook writer Alison Roman had an interview with the New Consumer magazine about 10 days ago and she singled out two Asian women so Marie Kondo and Chrissy Teigen in the lifestyle space. And she really criticised them and was quite bitchy and judgmental and said, oh, they just slapped their names onto products to make profit and have basically sold out in making money. And there was a huge kind of commentary and backlash about her statements on Twitter and also in the media because of a few things. First of all, it's very interesting that in the lifestyle space is mainly dominated by white people and a lot, of lot, a lot of white women. But she chose just the two Asian women who, who happen to be in this space, one of them not even in the food space, who are doing this. So she didn't choose to single out Martha Stewart, Gordon Ramsay, Jamie Oliver. I mean, so many, so many, so many other chefs who also have product lines and are selling things with their names on them. And this really says a lot about like who she thinks belongs at the table, or who who has the right to make money and build a brand, and who doesn't.
1: Another thing that was incredibly infuriating about what she said was the comment that these two women just slapped their names onto something, which is incredibly insulting because the insinuation there is that they can't be entrepreneurial, that both Chrissy Teigen or Marie Kondo weren't involved in the development of their products that you know someone had to come to them and be like hey do you want to do this when in reality at least as far as Chrissy Teigen's cravings line goes I know that she's actively involved so it's just doubly insulting in that way
0: and actually the interview was all about how she was going to build her her own business And she herself does have a line of these vintage spoons and she became famous because of this stew, she calls it the stew, but really the stew is a curry. And she refused to acknowledge the origins of this dish that she became famous for, which is basically a kind of example of food colonisation. And she became very successful and rich because of this and her privilege as a white woman to make something famous and to be seen as a domestic goddess in the space as of the influences of other cultures. And her cookbook is called Nothing Fancy. Her main thing is that she sort of makes simple recipes that everyone can do that don't require any really weird ingredients according to her but really what she's talking about is not weird ingredients like kind of white ingredients that any white American can get and she's Kind of whitewashing recipes to make them accessible and bring them into the mainstream without saying where the recipes came from. And this is all part of her brand. And part of her brand is also that she just says what she wants, she doesn't care, she says she's from no culture, doesn't matter to her, she's not interested in business, she runs her own like social media, not like other people. So this is her brand is that she's authentic and messy and doesn't care, which is a position of great privilege. Like I think a lot of immigrant people don't really have that opportunity to just not care about being rich. Yeah,
1: a large part of her brand is that she's very blunt and direct. But I think that a big mistake that Alison is making is that she doesn't realize that being blunt and direct doesn't mean you also are allowed to be rude and disrespectful. And I also think that she's just never been called out on a lot of these things because she has this sort of inherent privilege, whereas you were saying a lot of immigrants or people of color, they can't afford to be seen as rude or to be blunt. And the fact that she sort of markets herself at this way without acknowledging what that really means and where that actually comes from makes it incredibly problematic. It reminded me of something that Tan France said in his biography, Naturally Tan. He talks about how when they're filming Queer Eye, he's always super aware that everything that he does will not just represent himself, but also all Muslim men and all Middle Eastern men. He goes on to elaborate and say that when he does something, he's representing all immigrants of his background. So he's always going to be Tan France, the Pakistani immigrant. But the same isn't true for his colleague Antony, who is a Polish immigrant.
0: Yeah, so obviously now she's been called out on this, and then she issued a massive apology, which started with, I need to make an apology, which is interesting because she realised she needed to, not she necessarily wanted to, because of the social media backlash, she needed to. And she probably will tone it down or think a little bit more in the future, and thinking a little bit more about what she's saying have a direct impact on her personality and her identity. And it really got me thinking about how social media shapes our identity nowadays.
1: So what you're talking about with it going viral on social media is cancel culture. And if you don't know what cancel culture is, cancel culture is when someone who's in the public eye be they a celebrity or a politician says something or does something problematic and the internet specifically twitter usually but also tumblr holds them accountable the idea behind it is strength in masses it's kind of a vigilante mob justice sort of thing there are two sides to cancel culture firstly as i mentioned it's used to hold people accountable but usually it's used to hold white men accountable who seem immune in the real world. And the second is, certain people claim that it's a millennial tool used to topple anyone they don't like. So cancel culture does have something kind of witch-hunty about it, because when someone does or says something that people don't agree with, not only are their actions questions, but also their identity is kind of attacked. So in the case of Chrissy Teigen, Alison Roman, and Marie Kondo, what ended up happening was that people started digging into Chrissy Teigen's old tweets and finding things that they disagreed with that she had said. And so cancel culture kind of spirals in the sense of like first everyone is on Chrissy Teigen's side and they're attacking Alison Roman for her comments. And then people start attacking Chrissy Teigen because once upon a time she made not so positive remark about Courtney's sodden or she once made a joke about not being able to pronounce someone's name. But what this basically does is it sort of erases the ability for people to learn from their mistakes. It brings up this idea that yes Chrissy Teigen might have said something that was not that great in the past but that doesn't mean she deserves to have racist remarks made towards her and people got really angry um you know they started attacking her cookbook there was one guy who claimed that she had stolen one of her recipes from someone named chef mike and then all the way at the end of the tweet he wrote um stick to making filipino food or something to that extent two things that are wrong with that one it's going back to this idea of you know women belong in the kitchen he was like stick to what you know stick to what you're good at also, Chrissy Teigen's tie. she's not Filipino, so it's like insulting on two different levels.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because as the conversation progresses, I think this question comes up. On one hand, I really do think that calling people out on being racist or sexist or boycotting them or just saying that's not cool, like more voices because of social media can be heard and the other side of culture and people who normally don't have a voice can now air their voices and it makes for a much more progressive kind of society, right? Because it becomes more inclusive. So in the future, for example, Alison Roman hopefully will not be racist And our tolerance for racism goes down and we're able more to navigate and see our inherent biases, the structures that exist within any given industry and things like that. On the other hand, what happens as the conversation goes down is you almost get two split camps and it becomes very divisive. So the question is, does this cancel culture thing or this call out culture, does it indeed lead to a more progressive society or does it cause more divisions.
1: So in regards to whether or not cancel culture works. Cancel culture functions on something called the attention economy. Lisa Nakamura, who is a professor in the Department of American Culture at the University of Michigan, writes that people talk about the attention economy when you deprive someone of your attention, you're depriving them of their livelihood. So attention culture is this idea that attention is a resource. And we only have so much of it. So attention is a scarce commodity. So in the world of cancel culture, who we give attention to is actually the currency. So the performative aspect to canceling means that when you cancel someone, what you're doing is publicly broadcasting their act, which then makes them the target of people's attention. In pop culture vernacular, this is called relevance. You know, relevance sells magazines, relevance you know, it gets you trending on Twitter. And a lot of people who will not have heard of Alison Roman before this will now know who she is. It also makes me think of the Anna Winter phenomenon, which before A Devil Wears Prada was released, not a lot of people knew who Anna Winter was, certainly not people outside of the fashion industry. But when this book was released, and it sort of was meant to point out what a horrible boss she is, and there's a lot of sexist issues there, but the book was supposed to sort of emphasize that she's a terrible person. But what it really did was it sort of catapulted her into stardom, and now everyone knows. Who Anna Winter is. And Michael H. Goldhaber wrote that the global economy is shifting from a material based economy to one based on the capacity of human attention. Many services online are offered for free. In the attention economy, attention is not only a resource but a currency. Users pay for service with their attention. So, as Vox pointed out in one of their articles about cancel culture, they found that canceling people doesn't diminish someone's career because we are still giving them attention. No press is bad press. Take, for example, Michael Jackson and R. Kelly. Their listeners actually increased and not decreased after they were quote-unquote canceled. Likewise, Louis C.K. went on a 10-month hiatus after he was canceled, but now he's back. So even when we think that we're doing something good by calling out these people and activating vigilante mob justice, that's not really what's happening because the currency online is attention and or relevance.
0: Yes, but at the same time, we are also drawing attention to a particular issue so in this case it's racism or actually a lot of white women for some reason have a problem with Marie Kondo in the media and things like this and it just highlights a trend and points something you know an issue out and I would argue also that big movements so me too came out of a kind of call out cancel culture thing and I think it's really made a big difference is Kevin Spacey gone has Kevin Spacey been cancelled
1: it's really interesting that you bring up Kevin Spacey because actually recently he like posted a video about how he also was affected by corona, and he's losing work, and I remember seeing the video and thinking out loud, "Wasn't Kevin Spacey canceled? Why is he back in the you know public? Kevin Spacey's back apparently, and we're giving him our attention. People watched the video. it was on my news feed on Facebook, so apparently people must have been reposting it, or it must have been shared by news outlets, so we're still giving him attention and making him kind of relevant again. In the case of Kevin Spacey, what's also interesting to note is that it really did impact his career. You know, they rewrote House of Cards to completely get rid of his character for the last season. And I wonder if that's because his victims were men. I wonder if it would have had the same impact on his career if he had been abusing women.
0: There's a definite disparity between how men and women are treated, also how different races are treated when it comes to cancel culture, So I think women are held to a much higher standard. I think a lot of men, including, for example, Donald Trump with his pussy grabbing, I mean... Louis C.K., so many people, they were not affected as much as women or expected to apologise as much. And this is because of gender politics and women are supposed to present more perfect and be kind of morally virtuous compared to men. And if men are being abusive, it's like, oh, they're just men or they're given more of a pass. So there's definitely that paradigm at work. John Ronson's book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, which is kind of related, it's about public shaming, which is a very age-old thing that humans have done in In order to sort of create, I guess, a more cohesive society. So, one of the stories in his book is about Adria Richards, who was sitting behind these two dudes at a tech conference. And they were making kind of off-colour jokes to each other. And she photographed them and reported them to the organisers because she was kind of offended by their sexism. One of the guys was fired and apologised in a public forum. And meanwhile, the website of the company where Richards worked, the woman, was forced down and she was fired as well. But Hank got a new job right away and Richards did not. And she spent a year fielding rape and murder threats online. So it's really interesting how different groups are treated. So so even if, say, Alison Roman gets... Called out online, a load of people will come to her defense, and a lot of people will try and explain to her, especially people of colour, do the work of explaining to her where she's gone wrong, what politics are at work there, how she's being offensive, how ethnicity and immigration and economics and all of this kind of stuff, the complexities of food work because she, as a white woman, can't see it. Whereas Chrissy Teigen will just get racist comments or sexist comments or just death and rape threats. And she did take a break off Twitter after this massive scandal, and she came back on to accept Alison Roman's apology. I kind of am annoyed that everyone's talking about cancel culture as if that's the problem here, and that it's kind of like a witch hunt, which, yeah, it can be, for sure. And a lot of people also, without fact-checking things or taking things out of context, are trying to ruin other people's careers or lives because they just want to or they simply don't like them. Of course, there are those people. But why are we not talking about all of these men who are abusing women online and nobody's cancelling them? So this woman in the book, Adria Richards, she submitted 120 incidents of abuse to Twitter In a single week. And Twitter did nothing. She's got like PTSD. She's still jobless. uh, Nearly two years later when the book was written. Whereas the other guy is working in an all-male tech firm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because all of these big tech firms are male-owned and male-dominated. And all the big media firms as well, I have to say. And we're all concentrating on how witch-hunting cancel culture is. But how about just how toxic and shitty normal culture is how cancel culture is actually good redresses a kind of power balance
1: i think that that is the main issue with cancel culture isn't it is that it should be something really good it should be holding people accountable who otherwise won't be but as contrapoint points out in one of her videos, the problem with cancel culture is the pseudo-moralism attached to it. It's that people pretend to be outraged when really just they just want to topple someone and they assume someone's guilt before they really look into the crime. Now, in the case of Alison Roman, she was very plainly guilty of the things she's been accused of. But in other cases, it's not quite as linear. So if we look into the James Charles drama with Tati Westbrook, which happened, I think, in 2019, it was November, December. Here we can see the problematic aspect of cancel culture. So Tati Westbrook is sort of like a mentor to James Charles, and they're both beauty YouTubers. And she made a video where she got really upset because he was endorsing a line of hair vitamins, and she has one, and she got mad. And in it, she's had a throwaway sentence where she said that James... Charles tried to trick straight men into thinking they were gay, which that's just a confusing thing. What do you mean? How, how are you going to trick someone into thinking they're a different sexuality? But that's a whole nother thing. But then the story that made the rounds on Twitter was James Charles is a sexual predator. So there wasn't a linear line between what happened and what people got angry about in the end. So, yeah, cancel culture can potentially be a really good thing. And in terms of holding people accountable, I think it's great. But that's not how the Internet works And that's not how people process information that they're given because they don't look for the receipts. They just take everything at face value because maybe they wanted James Charles to topple. And I have to admit that in terms of Alison Roman, I got really upset really quickly. And I am a huge Chrissy Teigen fan. And I was incredibly, I was guilty of being like, oh my God, she's a horrible person. She's really bad. And I got upset about things that weren't actually the issue. So I got mad that she was attacking Chrissy Teigen and it was only once I took a moment to like slow down and really think about what she'd said and what she'd done, did I really process. Actually, everything she said was really shitty, but for a different reason other than she came for one of my favourites.
0: Yeah, I take what you're saying and I completely agree, but... Oh, actually, I don't completely agree, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Because I think there's a parallel to be drawn between this argument and, and the argument about like rape cases, for example. And a lot of, when we talk about rape, a lot of people are like, oh, and the false claim, you know, you could ruin his entire life. You know, these girls are just out to ruin a boy's life because he dumped her or whatever, whatever. Well, yes, that happens. And that's incredibly sad and horrible. Or like pedophilia, you know, kids are just making up lies or they want attention and they're not to be believed. Yes, that happens again. That's very sad. But the weight of the argument is actually the other way around like most people who say that they have been raped or most children who say that they've been abused are doing so because there's a genuine problem there and I think a lot of call-out culture there is a genuine problem there it's just that we don't want to hear it we feel uncomfortable having these discussions and it's a argument that plays out in a public space. And yeah, it's agitating. I think the difference is maybe that this is trial by public rather than trial by jury. But actually, I I, I would argue that the same biases that exist on Twitter exist in a jury and in a courtroom, to be honest, because it's just people. And also, just to remember that Cancel culture did come out of the civil rights movement in the 50s and the 60s when black people realised their power to boycott companies and places, their economic power. And again, like you said about the attention economy now, we are realising our power to boycott certain individuals. That doesn't make for a massive structural change. And like I said, there is a structural bias in who gets cancelled and who suffers the most out of cancel culture or public shaming but I think just like boycott culture did make a difference call out culture and cancel culture also make a difference and are kind of important and it's viewed as very negative and I think more negative than actually it should be and that's interesting and we should examine why we feel so uncomfortable
1: I would actually argue that call out culture and cancel culture are two different things call-out culture which I think can be incredibly positive is when someone says something problematic and as the name suggests someone calls them out on it and is like hey that's a shitty thing to say here's why and obviously you know it's the internet so the conversation is never as civil and as straightforward as that but the sentiment remains it invites discourse and it invites people to learn and cancel culture I feel has morphed into sort of ganging together and ganging up on someone who's done something or said something problematic, you know, trying to remove them from the public eye or simply take away their influence or status. And I think where we see this divide clearest is with Michael Jackson, because we canceled Michael Jackson. We didn't call him out. Now, obviously, Michael Jackson has passed away, so maybe that's where the difference lies. But we react to different celebrity mistakes in different ways, also depending on whether or not it's their first offense and if they've learned, and also the gravity and nature of what they've done. Obviously, the things that Michael Jackson has done, like he should be canceled. We shouldn't even be listening to his music anymore. And in regards to what you said, cancel culture definitely has a very good origin. And as most things are, they start off really great, with a great purpose, holding people accountable for their actions. But in the world of the internet, it's morphed into something else. I actually went into the Tumblr tag for cancel culture. And firstly, it's incredibly scary and crazy, and going there was probably a mistake. Obviously, every fandom has drama, and nothing in there was contextualized, and it was all over the place, and you know, everyone's just tagging things, so nothing's organized in any way. But the one thing that I did notice was that a lot of the posts were saying something along the lines of, like you don't even care really about the drama you just want to topple someone or you're you're just in this to you know start drama they were sort of questioning the validity of people's need to cancel someone and i think that's the heart of the issue it's been warped far beyond what it was intended to be and the truth is on the internet it's really hard to do things without leaving a paper trail for example in her video contrapoint goes back and looks at all the claims people make about james charles and she traces them back to the original video or tweet that was the cause for the drama. And she finds that the comments that people are referring to are ignorant or in bad taste, but not necessarily racist or transphobic, as people like to claim them to be. And here she even goes on to explain how there is a difference between saying something harmful out of ignorance, which is what James Charles did, and actually being a racist or a transphobe.
0: Serena, you know how I always kind of agree with everything Roxanne Gay says. I looked on Twitter and just to see her opinion on it and I was kind of like, oh, I'm not sure about that. But her view and your view kind of match up. And since you're both really smart and I would like to agree with you both on everything always, I'll just read out her two tweets on the matter. Her first tweet said, I like Alison Roman's recipes. I really like Chrissy Teigen and her various endeavours. That interview included some terrible takes. It's lousy that women of colour were the target of her disdain when this is a space dominated by white women. I mean, come on. And then her second tweet says, Some of you all wait for one of your fabs to make a mistake so you can let loose. Maybe we could just admit that we don't like everyone and create an environment where that isn't a moral failing and not just wait for convenient opportunities. And I think we should make that the last word on the subject. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet
1: obsession with us. Tweet us. I am at Rina underscore grobe underscore and Madvi is at Madvi Romani. Follow us on Instagram at the underscore MS underscore informed or shoot us an email misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You will
0: find links to our Twitter and Instagrams in our show notes as well as links to all the content we have discussed this week. Until next time, thank you for listening.